Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on March 6, 2016, on the basis of Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Is the Christian faith dangerous to society? It probably wouldn't come as much of a surprise to you to hear that. Some people would say, well, absolutely. Some would say that Christianity's beliefs about how the universe came into existence, for example, actually discourage and stifle scientific advancement. Some people would say that Christianity's beliefs about genders and marriage and families are actually oppressive and controlling toward women. Some people would say that Christianity's beliefs that there is just one true God and one way to eternal life in him actually lead to hatred and division in the world. So are they right? Well, to that question, I'm going to give you my best politician's answer this morning, and I'm going to say that if you ask me, it's sort of beside the point. You see, if we're going to have a discussion about whether or not Christianity is dangerous to society, we can just ignore all of the things that I just mentioned, and we should instead focus on just one of Christianity's beliefs. The one belief that is not only at the very heart and core of the Christian faith, but the one belief that is arguably the most dangerous. That belief, that idea, that thought is what we call grace. Now that might sound a bit strange. In fact, if if people would agree that there's anything that our world and our society could use a whole lot more of, they might say that it's grace. But the reality is that the more palatable, the more acceptable, the more appealing grace is to our society as a whole, probably the further and further we've gotten from God's definition of it. Well, thankfully, out of, out of all the sections of God's word that we might explore in order to have a good understanding of what exactly we mean by grace, the one that's in front of us today is arguably the best. As we turn our attention to Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 2, we're not only going to see exactly what grace is, we'll also see why grace is Christianity's most dangerous thought. So first of all, what exactly is grace? Well, if we're going to follow Paul's train of thought, in order for us to understand grace, we need to understand three things. First of all, we need to understand who we are. We need to understand who God is. And then we need to understand what happens when we and God meet. Starting with who we are. Paul starts out this section this way. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Boy, what a way to begin, huh? You can maybe understand why if, if this is essential to understanding what grace is, maybe grace isn't so appealing of a thought after all. What does Paul mean that by nature we are dead in sins? Well, Paul goes on to explain that by nature there are three forces that are at work in our lives. There's first of all the influence of the world around us, There's the influence of the spiritual forces of evil led by the devil himself. And then thirdly, there's the influence of the thoughts and the desires that occur naturally 
inside of us. It's almost as if those three forces are sort of like a, a strong current on a river that, that carry anyone and anything in their path away from God. When Paul says that by nature we're dead in sin, it's sort of like, sort of like we're sitting in a boat on that river. And we have no paddles, we have no motor, we have no sail. And so not only is it impossible for us to go in the opposite direction of that current, but by nature our lives are so in step with that current, so in harmony with that current that we don't even feel it. If you've ever gone tubing down a river before, you know that that once you're going at the same pace as the current, you no longer feel the current. That's what Paul's getting at when he says that by nature we are dead in transgressions and sins. But does that really describe you? Does that really describe anyone apart from God? You might think to yourself, hold on there a second. I, I know some people who aren't very religious. I know some people who maybe don't even believe in God. But they're good people. They're nice They're kind, they follow the rules, they're good spouses, they're good parents, they're good citizens, they're good workers. What about them? Well, understand the direction that this current wants to lead us. Not only does this current influence us to do things that are wrong, very often it leads us to do things that are right, but for all the wrong reasons. Those forces that I mentioned before, they they do often tell you to do good to follow the rules, to be nice to other people, to be compassionate to one another. They even tell you to come to church on Sunday morning. But they tell you to do those things ultimately for selfish reasons, for how it might improve your position in the eyes of other people or how it might improve your position in the eyes of your God. So whether that current is leading us to do wrong things or whether that current is leading us to do right things but for all the wrong reasons, ultimately that current is leading us away from God. And Paul wraps up this first section by telling us that at the end of this river, there is a deadly waterfall waiting, one that will plunge us underneath the water and dash us against the rocks. Paul says it this way. He says, By nature, we were deserving of God's wrath. These forces that influence our lives, this current that is leading us away from God will ultimately lead us to our eternal doom. Understand you. The second key to understanding grace is to understand God. I'm guessing it comes as no surprise to hear Paul say that that God has great love for us. We all know that God is a loving God, right? But what's important and what's surprising is the Bible's definition of God's love. You see, normally love is dependent on its object. Normally love is contingent on the person who is being loved. So if someone is good, if someone is funny, if someone is attractive, if someone is nice and kind, generally it causes our love for them to go up. But the less someone is of all of those things, it it generally causes our love to go down. God's love doesn't work that way. When God sees us in this helpless condition, not only does it 
not only does it not diminish his love for us, it actually stirs his love up and actually prompts God to want to take action. Let me ask, how many, how many of you are dog people? How many of you just really love dogs? All right, so if, if you're a dog person, if you really love dogs, I'm guessing you don't walk around all day, every day, just obsessing over how much you love dogs, right? You can still function as a productive member of society in spite of your great love for dogs. But then all of a sudden you see one of those commercials, those sad, tear-jerking commercials about dogs that are getting mistreated or dogs that, that need to find a good home. And suddenly that love that you have for dogs that's been with you all along, suddenly it's, it's stirred up, right? And maybe even prompts you to take action. That's how God's love for us works. That's what Paul means when he says that God is rich in mercy. When God looks at us in our helpless condition, it doesn't cause him to want to walk away or write us off as a lost cause. It actually stirs up his love and prompts him to take action. That's what mercy is all about. So know yourself, know God. Finally, to understand grace, we need to know what happens when you and God meet. When you who are dead in sin, helplessly floating down that river, and when God who is rich in mercy come together. And be forewarned, this is the place where most ideas of grace get way, way off track. See, we're almost tempted to picture it this way. There we are, helplessly floating down the river to our doom, and, and there stands God on the banks of the river. And because he is rich in mercy, because he has great love for us, he wants to help, of course. And so what does he do? Well, he throws us a paddle. He throws us a paddle so that we can start fighting in the opposite direction of that current so that we can start helping ourselves and getting ourselves to safety. And of course, according to most ideas of God's grace, after we've done all that we can, after we've tried our best and maybe, maybe still aren't quite safely to shore, don't worry, God will reach out at the very end and he'll bring us safely to the banks of that river. That idea of grace sort of makes a lot of sense. It's very common. And I would say that it is summed up best in one magnificent, glorious expression that I know you've heard before. God helps those who help themselves, right? Well, unfortunately, not, not only is that sentence never found in God's word, it is actually the exact opposite of God's definition of grace. Here's what Paul says God does when, when we in our helpless condition and God who is rich in mercy meet. Paul says this, God made us alive with Christ. God raised us up with Christ. God seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. Three things Paul mentions. God made us alive with Christ. God raised us up with Christ. God seated us in heaven with Christ. Now, in order for us to understand what Paul is saying we need to first realize the significance that those three events had in the life of Jesus. You see, God's grace didn't simply prompt him to stand safely on the banks of that river and, and throw us a paddle so that we could try and help ourselves. No, God's grace actually prompted him to jump into the river. God's own son, Jesus, came here, came into our mess. First of all, 
so that he could fight against the very same forces of evil that you and I are influenced by, only to do so with absolute perfection. To do so without being budged by those forces a single inch. God's own son, Jesus, came to our world, came into our mess, dove headfirst into our predicament so that he could, second of all, face all of God's wrath against sin, suffer the penalty we deserved by dying on the cross. And when Jesus had done those things, do you know what God the Father did? Three things. He made him alive raised him up from the grave, and eventually seated him in heaven at his right hand. Three things that send one clear message about the work Jesus did. The message that God approves. The message that God accepts. The message that God is 100% satisfied with the work that Jesus did on our behalf. So now this God who is rich in mercy meets us in our helpless, dead-in-sin condition. Do you know what he does? He doesn't throw us a paddle. Instead, he offers us the very same things that he offered Jesus. Paul says God raised us up. God made us alive with Christ. God raised us up with Christ. God seated us in heaven with Christ. Notice the past Tenses. These are not future things. These are done deals. These are accomplished facts. And what does that mean for you and me? Well, when God looks at you, how much approval does he have? Exactly the same amount that he has for Jesus. When God looks at you, how accepting is he? Exactly the same amount that he was for Jesus. When God looks at you, how worthy are you to spend eternity in heaven right there at his right hand? Exactly the same amount that Jesus is. Of course, for us, those things aren't rewards. Those things aren't payments for a job well done like they were for Jesus. Those things are simply gifts. And that's why we call them grace. Know yourself Know your God. Know what happens when, when you and God meet. That's how Paul describes grace. Why is that such a dangerous thing? Well, we're going to look at it from two perspectives. First of all, the perspective from people who object to that idea of grace. And then secondly, from the perspective of those who would embrace that idea of grace. Grace is, first of all, very dangerous for people who want power and want control over other people. You see, grace means that no other human being can say to another, you need me to get to God. Do you realize what a dangerous thing that is for a preacher to say? I mean, what if you actually take me seriously? What if no one comes to church anymore? What if no one listens to the things that I'm going to say anymore? Of course, God wants us to be a part of a church. God wants us to appoint spiritual leaders. God gives us wonderful blessings through those things, and he wants us to have those blessings. But it's not because you need me or need anyone else to get to God or get to heaven. Grace is a very dangerous thing 
for people who want control and power over other people. Grace is also a very dangerous thing for people who want to control God. One of the objections to grace that you sometimes hear goes something like this. So you're telling me that a person who spends their entire life doing good and helping people, but who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to end up in hell. But someone who spends their entire life doing evil, living selfishly, hurting other people, but then at the very end puts their hope and their trust in Jesus, that person's going to end up in heaven? Realize that that's actually a very cleverly disguised way of saying something else. The person who objects to God's grace in that way, what they actually really want to know is whether they, with their good deeds, can control God. Whether they, with their own good deeds, can expect God to pay them back with good in return. Whether they can actually make God in their debt, owing them blessings in this life. Grace doesn't work that way. And so grace is a very dangerous thing for people who want to control God. Grace is a very dangerous thing for people who live their lives simply motivated by fear of punishment. Grace takes all the fear of punishment away, right? The punishment has already been paid by Jesus, and right here, right now, you have God's full, ultimate approval. The objection, some would say, well, what's stopping people from just going out and doing whatever they want? I mean, if you had a credit card where every single time that you swiped it, that debt was immediately eliminated, wouldn't you go around just swiping it everywhere you went all day long? That's how people think when they are motivated by fear of punishment, when the only thing that is driving them is the potential consequence of what might happen if they don't do the right thing. And so grace is a very dangerous thing for people who are are motivated that way. Finally, we're going to consider the one way in which grace is very, very dangerous even to the people who would embrace it. See, grace means that God expects absolutely nothing out of you. Grace means that God gives you his full approval before any of your improvement. And that also means that grace will not leave you the person that you were before. Grace cannot and will not leave you unchanged. Here's how Paul describes it. He says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, grace makes you a completely different person than you were before. Here's why that's so dangerous. You see, there's a part of us, sometimes a very strong and big part of us, that that wishes that we could still just be floating down that lazy river that wishes that we could just go along with the ways of the world, that we could listen to the lies of the devil, that we could follow through on all of the desires and thoughts and wants that come out of our heart. And to that part of us, grace is dangerous. In fact, grace is deadly. Grace means the death of the person who just wants to go along with the flow of evil in this world. Grace is dangerous to people that want to control other people, 
It's dangerous to people that want to control God. It's dangerous to people who are only motivated by the fear of punishment. And it is dangerous to people who just want to go along with the flow of evil. Boy, I don't know about you, but this dangerous and deadly thing called grace sort of sounds exactly what we and what the world around us need absolutely the most. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.